Okay. Church, today we're starting chapter 2 in Luke. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2 today. The title of the message is God. It's called God's Providential Plan. God's Providential Plan. I'm going to start us off today by reading a very short paragraph out of the London Baptist Confession. In chapter 5, paragraph 7, this will be the last part of that chapter. This is the whole paragraph. It's just one little short line. It says this about divine providence. The providence of God in a general way includes all creatures. But in a special way, it takes care of His church and arranges all things to its good. Isn't that beautiful? So we're going to be seeing God's providence today, guys. I'm going to, that's so short, I want to read it again. When we think about the providence of God, how, how really God accomplishes His purposes, you know, He has an eternal decree, and His providence is basically how that decree is carried out. But listen to this again. The providence of God in a general way includes all creatures. But in a special way, it takes care of His church and arranges all things to its good. That is beautiful. And I think we're going to see that today in the, in the Scripture that we see. Romans 8.28, we all know the verse, right? And we know that God causes all things. How many things? All things. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. Sam Waldron, in his um, exposition or his commentary on the on the confession, on the, on the London Baptist Confession, he says, uh, this is a quote from him on that verse, on Romans 8.28, in dealing with God's providence. He says this, Who, if anyone, enjoys God's special care? Is it the famous? The great? The political leaders? The Jews? No. It is the church. This is an often veiled but very comforting fact. Where is the focal point of God's providence in the world? That's the question we, we all ask. When we think of God's providence, what is He up to in the world? Is it Jerusalem, where the temple was? No. It is, is it Rome? At the Vatican? Is it Mecca? No. It is where we are, the church. Do not imbibe a secular mentality as to what is important in life. And this, this, last, this last line of this quote has really, really caught my attention. It is for the sake of the church that everything in life happens. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's eternal purpose and all everything that God is doing in this world, guys, is for a purpose. It's for it's for His redemptive purposes, in other words. It's for the salvation and the sanctification of His people to the praise of His glory. Everything He does is, is moving towards that. To when it's finally glorified his, 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 his people that He gave to His Son to come and purchase, they've all been redeemed. The very last one of God's elect believes, and then He wraps it up. So I think, there's tr- I think that is true. It is for the sake of the church that everything in life happens. Obviously to the praise of His glory, right? Everything is to the praise of His glory. But it's what God is doing with the church. Guys, I believe He will move, as far as Him working to accomplish 
Really what this is speaking of is Him accomplishing His redemptive purposes that He decreed before the foundation of the world. He will move heaven and earth. He does move heaven and earth to accomplish those things. It reminds me of a, um, just by way of illustration, I've kind of used this as a joke over the years. But I don't think it's really, when we think about God's providence, when we think about the truth of, of, of His statement here, and, and of the confession and just the whole, that whole, this whole, this whole thing regarding His providence and Him accomplishing the salvation of His people for His glory. Back in 2005, guys, I know um, some of us lived here at that time, but when you think about, when you think about the NBA, okay, right, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Does anybody remember why we had the Oklahoma City Thunder here to begin with? I know Carl does. It was a hurricane, Hurricane Katrina, that hit New Orleans in 2005. And because of that, that that NBA team was displaced. They didn't have anywhere to play. So Oklahoma City took this team in, the the New Orleans Hornets, until they could really get the city recovered, the arena recovered, all of these things. And so Oklahoma City, they had them two years, I think, the Hornets. Oklahoma City showed as a city that they could support an NBA team. They, and they supported them really well. And it surprised the NBA. And so, so, so they went back to New Orleans and there was such a move for Oklahoma City to get a team. And then when the team up in Seattle moved, they moved them to Oklahoma City because, of, because Oklahoma City had supported an NBA team so well. And that's when the, the thunder came. Why do I say this? Well, I've joked around many times when that happened, I don't, the first year was 2008 or nine, something like that, I think. And that's about the time I started street preaching. And that was one of the places I went to. And I've, I've always just said over the years, I know why the thunder moved here, so more people could hear the gospel. Shiloh can testify to that. And I'm, and I'm being a little, I've used that in a joking way, guys, but I, there's truth to that in God's eternal redemptive purposes. I cannot tell you the thousands upon thousands of people who have heard the gospel in Oklahoma City because of Hurricane Katrina. And you can't argue with that when you think about God's redemptive purposes. And all these people, hey, you know what? It may just be, obviously, it's for His Word to go forth and Christ to be glorified, right? And whether that's, the, whether that's in His justice being glorified through, the, through His judgment and damnation of the, of the unbelievers... Or, or him being glorified in his mercy for the salvation of his people. Maybe it's only, maybe it's only one of God's elect heard the gospel on a, on a corner one night after the Thunder game eight years ago, and maybe God's going to convert them twenty years from now. I don't know, but I know. And, and again, Shiloh can testify. Shiloh's been out there regularly this year. Thousands of people hear the gospel every time you go out there, God. And do we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? Amen. So. I believe there's truth in that. God, I mean, I know there is. Everything God does, He's doing it for this His mighty redemptive purposes. The salvation and the sanctification of His, His people whom He chose before the foundation of the world. And so, that's the introduction to our Christmas message. <laughs> now it is, uh, it's Luke chapter 2, verses 1-7 through seven, if you look at the text, guys. This would be a message, probably the, one of the most the, the portions of Scripture that, that's, that's most commonly preached on Christmas morning. 
But you know, as Christians, guys, and we do, we try to, uh, you know, Christmas time and Easter, we try to remember, remember those, those, uh, those times, specifically the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as Christians, guys, do we not celebrate that every day? Should we not? I hope you think about the reality of God coming into this world to save you from your sins every day when you get up. I hope you think about the reality that without His resurrection, guys, our hope is in vain. We are most to be pitied. So, it is, a, it is a popular Christmas message, but since we're going through the book of Luke, that's what it brings us to in His providence on this Lord's Day. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1-7. through seven. We finally got through chapter 1. That's 80 verses, but we got through it. And Luke says this, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, God, that You have sent Your Son, Lord. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for just the reminder of that in Your Word today as we as we remember the birth of our Savior in this world, God. I pray that Your Spirit, Lord, would, would help me today. I pray that You would protect me from error today. And I pray that You would minister to each individual person in here today, God, and those who would hear this message. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in verse 1, guys, we're going to see, first of all, we're going to see three things today that I think we can see from this passage of Scripture. And the first thing we're going to see is God's providential decree in this passage here. God's providential decree. In those days, a little bit of background here. In verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Those days, it just means the events we've been reading about, right? For the past 80 verses. In those days, the days... Back in chapter 1, verse 5, the days when Herod was king of Judea, right? And all these events we've been reading in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, guys, just real quickly, it'll it'll help obviously add to the narrative when we know a little bit about him. There's a lot you could read about him, but just a little bit about him. Caesar Augustus is not his name, but it's his title, okay? His birth name was Gaius Octavius. He was born September 23rd in 63 B.C. His grandmother was was Julius Caesar's sister. So he was a grandnephew of Julius Caesar. After the assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 B.C., he learned that Julius Caesar had adopted him and made him his heir. So he took the name of Gaius Julius Caesar. It was because of his victorious battles against the forces of Mark Antony and Cleopatra in 31 B.C. that he earned the, that earned him the title of Augustus. Caesar Augustus. Caesar just means emperor. Augustus means revered, honored, and esteemed. And I was just reading, a, uh, reading some stuff on 
a book I got I'm reading in Sproul, or by R.C. Sproul. He, he brought up that name, August. That, that's a name reserved only for God, this, this name, Augustus. But it, it does, it means revered, honored, and esteemed. Because he was very powerful and he was even worshipped as a god. And although he was very, he was very power hungry, power driven, he, he also did many good things as emperor. For example, he, he issued in Pax Romana, an era of prosperity that lasted for 200 years in the Greco-Roman world. May, he was maybe the most significant person in Roman history, Caesar Augustus. He died in AD 14 and was succeeded by his stepson, Tiberius, who was the emperor during the ministry of Jesus. So he was a very powerful man. He was not near as demented and wicked as Herod was, but he was a very power-driven, obviously a pagan, um, wicked man. And it says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a decree just meaning uh, an imperial edict, an ordinance, a command, came out from the imperial from the emperor that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This census was probably taken for the enrollment or for enrollment for, for purposes of taxation. Money. And so it was simply a way the census guys for the most powerful man in that area and that part of the world to gain even more power and more control over, over all of those of the, the NAS is the inhabited earth. Your version may just say over all the world. That phrase, all the world, guys, just in passing, that's, that's a good example in your scriptures where something may say all the world, and it doesn't mean all the world. It just means an area. So that's, uh, that's good to remember. So in verse 2, really some of this is just way by background, guys, setting it up here. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Syria being a region north of Palestine, lying between the Mediterranean and the Euphrates. And so what we see here, guys, with Augustus, Caesar Augustus, is just, we're just reminded once again, those in power, those that have power, right? You give, you give sinners power and control, and they want more and more and more and more. This is just one of those individuals. We've seen them come and go. God raised them up, and God put them down. And so in verse 3, everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Guys, just think of this. At the word of this powerful emperor. At the very word. This is the power he had. There were some people who traveled literally thousands of miles to register for this census. At his word. And guys, little did the emperor know. Really getting to our first point here. God's providential decree is what we see in verses 1-5. through Little did this emperor know that this little insignificant carpenter, Joseph, and his... You could say fiancé or really wife. They were betrothed, engaged, which is more like they were married. It required a divorce to end it, but it was not fully consummated. So whether you want to say fiancé or wife, this little insignificant poor couple, what was happening here when we look at this decree that, 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 this, that this emperor gave? This young, poor, insignificant couple were being moved by God to accomplish His purposes. That's what we're going to see here. Insignificant to the world, insignificant obviously to this emperor, but not insignificant in the eyes of God. God was moving His people to accomplish not just His purposes, but really the greatest purpose 
and bringing His Son into this world. Guys, do you ever feel insignificant? you ever feel like, man, you're just a little insignificant Christian? Just know that you're not. Just know that you may be insignificant in the eyes of the world and to those who are mighty and powerful, but in the eyes of your Heavenly Father, guys, remember Romans 8.28 that we just read. Everything that happens, guys, is for your good to be conformed to the image of His Son. He does not waste anything. Listen to Psalm 34.15 before we move on. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, guys. He has His eyes set upon you as His child, guys. You are, the church is the apple of His eyes, guys. You are the apple of His eyes because you are in Christ, okay? The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. So little did the emperor know that the one who thought he had ruled the world, right? I mean, he was a ruler of the world. The one who had thought he had ruled the world, who was power hungry, that his decree would actually be... Actually, he was just fulfilling the plan of God that God ordained before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the, of the house and family of David. And then verse 5, I'm going to read that as well. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. The way this census is being carried out, it, it seems to be modeled after, uh, according to a lot of reading that I did, after, after a Jewish census where families were, were kept distinct. So in other words, all went to the place where their family had resided. That's where they had to report for the census. Joseph, we see in this, in this verse here, in verse 4, was of the house and lineage of David. Luke had already said in, in chapter 1, verses 32 and 69, that the child, that Mary's child, would be David's son. Now he is making it clear, guys. Luke is making it clear that Joseph came from the royal line of David. And so all of this, all of this is Luke's way of establishing the credentials of the Messiah. You gotta remember, remember, Luke was a careful researcher and historian. Luke goes into much more detail than some of the other writers. But he was establishing the credentials of the Messiah. First of all, that he would be a direct descendant of David. He's very careful to establish that. We have other scriptures that remind us of that. 2 Timothy 2:8 is one where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. And so Joseph and Mary were both from the tribe of Judah. And Luke's just establishing that fact. Bethlehem, he mentions Bethlehem in verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is called the city of David. It's called the city of David because it was the place of David's birth. And also would be the birthplace of the son of David. The Messiah. What Luke is establishing here is that the Messiah had to be a descendant of David and born in Bethlehem, according to the Old Testament. And so that's what we're seeing fulfilled here in this text. Bethlehem is approximately 90 miles from Nazareth. Guys, think about the journey that this would have, that this would have been for, for Joseph and his, and his pregnant wife, the one he was betrothed to at the end of her pregnancy to travel 90 miles. 
This was a big thing, guys. And what was it that took them to Bethlehem? What was it that took them to Bethlehem? It was a, it was a decree of a king, of a pagan king. That's what got them to Bethlehem. And do we remember what the Old Testament says? In Micah 5, verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I don't think they were just going to get up and go to Bethlehem on their own. No, it was literally a pagan king's decree to have a census that brought this couple to Bethlehem. That's what we see in the, in the story here, guys. And so, beloved, what comfort that you and I can take okay, in this world and God's sovereign, what we see is God's sovereignty here, His providence here, and the comfort that you and I as God's children can take in God's sovereign, providential ordering of all events. Even bringing an NBA team to Oklahoma City so somebody can hear the Gospel. And that's the way God works. But His sovereign, providential ordering of all events for the accomplishment of His purposes. Do you ever feel like, man, the world's spinning out of control and I don't know who's in control of this thing and it looks like the church is just losing and God is losing? Any, that is the furthest thing from the truth. God is ordering every event. Remember what it says in the book of Psalms? When the nations rage against Him, He sits in heaven and laughs. He laughs. Selfish, wicked, powerful men who think that they're serving themselves, guys, are actually serving God. That's what we see here. And that's what happens in our day as well. We don't see it. Like, we get pictures of it in the Scriptures. There's other places we can see that. There's, there's, there's several examples we can look at, but I chose, I chose a couple here. One is Cyrus, the king of Persia. Some of you guys may be familiar with him. He was a pagan king, okay? A pagan king. It was under his rule over Persia from 539 to 530 B.C. that the Jews were first allowed to return to Israel after 70 years of captivity in Babylon. It was through, it was through this pagan king that, that Babylon was conquered. Let me, read it. Let me read a text. You can turn here, guys, if you want. It's four verses. So if you want to turn to Isaiah real quickly. Because I want you to see this. I want you to see God's control of everything that's happening for His purposes. Okay? Nothing's accident. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1-4, through four, the fascinating thing about this portion of Scripture, guys, this was prophesied 150 years before King Cyrus' birth. Okay? You think about our lifetime. 70, 80 years, you know. Double that. This is before he was ever born. This was written about King Cyrus. In Isaiah 45, 1-4, there's more we could read, but we'll just read this. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, His anointed, His anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand, to subdue nations before Him, and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before Him, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, 
The Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name, listen to this, for the sake of Jacob my servant and Israel my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. This was written and prophesied about Cyrus a century and a half before his birth. That God was going to use him. And it's speaking about that very thing. That for my servant Jacob, for my people Israel, you're going to be my anointed. You're going to be my servant. I'm going to deliver Israel out of Babylonian captivity from this pagan king. And that's exactly what he did, guys. In the same sense, in our text today, in Luke chapter 2, we could use this language that for the sake of my redemptive purposes, this census is given. It was for the sake of God's right, for Scripture to be fulfilled, for the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem. He's given the census from this king. Why did I title the first point God's providential decree, guys? This was a decree from a wicked emperor. Caesar's decree. But in reality, guys, this was God's providential decree. This decree, this census that was taken. This was God's providential decree, not Caesar Augustus. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wishes. And this is a great example of that. King Cyrus was a great example of that. When you think about the statement that I read just a little earlier, that last line from Sam Waldron, it is for the sake of the church that everything in life happens. For the sake of the church, to the praise of His glory, for the redemption of His people, God is accomplished in His purposes. Romans 8.28 I believe, we can, I believe we can have confidence in that, guys. That God moves even nations and moves kings' hearts for the salvation and the sanctification of His elect, His dear people, whom His Son came to purchase their redemption on that cross. We can, we can see another example of that before we move on, guys. What about something as, what about something as simple... Okay, simple but big. If it's if it's if you're, you're you're the one experiencing it. But what about something like imprisonment? Okay, you see somebody. We, we we know that there are those who have been imprisoned, both in the Bible, down through church history, for their faith. Right, preaching the gospel, they get imprisoned. Look at Philippians two real quick. We can see this again. God accomplishing His purposes, whereas maybe on the through the naked eye, somebody may say, man, the church of Jesus Christ is just defeated. Look at them. Look at them defeated. Their, their preachers are getting arrested. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 12-14, through 14, again, Paul had been arrested for the Gospel being proclaimed. And he says this, verses 12-14, through Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances... What are circumstances? Imprisonment. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole, whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. In other words, through the, through the governor's palace, right? 
Because of his imprisonment, the gospel has literally went through Rome, through the, through the palace. And, and then in verse 14, listen to this. And then it even affects the, the rest of the body of Christ in a tremendous way. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Do you see that? That about the time the devil thinks he's uh, defeating the church of Jesus Christ? No, not at all. God is using all of these events for the progress of the gospel. And you know, and, and, and you guys remember when COVID hit a few years ago? And you know, there were many churches that didn't shut down. We didn't shut down, but we're just a little insignificant church. Nobody would even know. But if you remember John MacArthur, you know, they shut down at first just because you don't know what it is, but they, they opened back up. And you remember all the persecution he was facing. MacArthur. There was a lot of times where it looked like he was maybe going to be arrested. You know, in God's providence he was not. But I want you to just think about that, guys. If we would have seen somebody like John MacArthur be arrested, I want you to think about what maybe would go through your mind if we saw that. Would you feel, would you feel that, oh no, somebody like John MacArthur's been arrested? Man, the enemy's winning. Our culture is so dark. The enemies went and were defeated. If, if, you, if, you, if you would find yourself thinking like that, go back to these Scriptures, guys. That would have not been a defeat at all. No, God would have used that for the advancement of His Gospel. I'm confident John MacArthur would have been a good... would have, good, would have, would have been a very good prison preacher. Okay? And so, these things happen all the time, guys. Okay? God accomplish His purposes through, through all kinds of events. Through, through sinful choices that wicked people make. And God uses it all to accomplish His purposes. Amen? So we just simply see God's providential decree that He was using this census from this emperor to fulfill His Scripture that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem just as Scripture stated. Secondly, we see real quickly, this won't take long, but we see God's perfect timing in verse 6. God's perfect timing. So they had come to Bethlehem right, to register for the census. Joseph and Mary both from the tribe of Judah. And verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. The days were completed for her to give birth. Beloved, God really does direct our steps. Hope you understand that. God directs your steps. We're just to be faithful and obedient. God directs our steps. Not only did God direct them to Bethlehem through, through unusual means, but He directed them to Bethlehem by the emperor's decree, but they arrived just in time to fulfill this prophecy in Micah 5, verse 2. They arrived just in time. In a similar way, it reminds me of Galatians 4.4. When Paul says this, obviously we would, if we were going through this text, we would spend more time there. But this statement, guys, in Galatians 4.4, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. When the fullness of time had come. Now you can look at that from God's perspective or even the fullness of time on this earth, culturally speaking, politically speaking. For an example, one of the conditions of the time when, when God sent His Son 
was the networks of roads that Caesar Augustus himself established, which aided greatly in the gospel spread. You see God's providence with that. Kind of similar to the thunder, right? Similar to the... I I even say Bricktown. Bricktown used to be not a place you would go preach. Bricktown used to be just nothing down there. It was a dump when I was growing up. But God has built up Bricktown so more people could hear the Gospel. And I think there's truth to that. But obviously we see it in Scripture, right? He built these roads. You think that was on Caesar Augustus' mind? Man, I can help the Gospel be spread. No, but it was on God's. It was ordained by God. But if you're, guys, have you ever witnessed God's perfect timing that you thought, man, God was right on time? You ever, you ever witnessed that? I want to share a story with you. I know some of you have heard it, okay? I'm learning real quickly. I've heard guys say that preach to the same people for years and years. They hear a lot of the same illustrations. But oh well. I know Bob hasn't heard this. And some of you may have not. But, 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 and Trish was with me this day. It was in 2018. It was about five years ago at the Fort Worth Arts Festival. And God's perfect timing. And so we had been invited to go down there and preach with Brother Jeff Rose and some others right outside the Arts Festival. And um, they had scheduled it, an outreach from 2 to 6 on that Saturday. And so we had, we had planned on going. And... And about Thursday, the weather forecast was literally, it was a 100% chance of rain, like all day Friday, all day Saturday, the whole state of Oklahoma, all of DFW, it was like 100% chance of rain, no break in it. And so Thursday night, I texted Jeff and said, I don't think we're coming, man. That's, there's no reason we're not going to preach. So he was kind of disappointed. It was like, oh man, I was really looking forward to the fellowship. So we, we decided to go. It was like, well, well, we'll go to church with them Sunday. Well, at least that fellowship, but there's no way we'll preach. And so we're driving down, Trish and I, in the rain. We leave Norman about 11 o'clock. And, I mean, it's just, it's one of those guys, it's just raining everywhere. Gray, rain, there's no stop, constant rain. We drive down in the rain. We get close to downtown Fort Worth right at 2 o'clock, and the rain just stopped. We're like, huh? That's pretty cool. And so we go and we park, or was it when we parked? She remembers details better than I do. This is when we parked. And so we parked in the parking garage. We got a hold of them. They're out there at the spot. So we walked over and we thought, man, this is pretty cool. It was not supposed to stop raining. And so we, we were able to preach. There was like five of us. For like five hours, hundreds of people heard the gospel. I had one of the best conversations I've ever had on the streets with a young lady. And, and so we're, we're just not even thinking of it. And so it starts getting close to 6 o'clock. Again, the outreach from 2 to 6. And I'm so glad my wife is here to be my witness. Because I would not stretch the truth with this, but she can testify. 6 o'clock on the dot, the heavens broke loose with a downpour so bad that the arts festival closed their tents up and everybody left. Now, if you don't think we were sitting there stunned with our mouths open, dropped open. I, I, I felt ashamed of myself for such weak faith. Uh, Jeremy Roten, who was the other elder at that time with Jeff, who passed away of cancer a year and a half ago, we just stood there and stared at each other. and Just like, I can't believe it. I mean, it was just like you felt one of those, I don't know if I'll ever experience that again, 
where you literally felt like the God of all creation was looking out for us today. I don't know who, I don't know, I think of that young lady that I talked to. I don't know who it was, but God had somebody <laughs> to share the gospel with somebody that was one of His dear sheep so they could hear and be converted. There's not a doubt in my mind. And I'm thinking it's that girl. But guys, His timing was perfect. It couldn't have been any more perfect. I'm, I'm talking 2 o'clock. It wasn't even 5 after 6 or 5 before 6. It was 6 o'clock. And all the arts festivals, they didn't have a clue what was going on, but we did. God was looking out for us that day. And that is no exaggeration. I will never forget that. So we see God's providential decree, guys, literally moving through this decree of this emperor, this powerful man, moving Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. So his word, right, which never fails, his word is always true, but literally moving heaven and earth to get, to get this couple at right at the right time, right? So she could give birth. And then lastly, guys, guys, we see our third point is God's plan is Jesus, right? Whenever we talk about God's plan, God's providence, God's purposes, it's always pointed to who? Jesus Christ. He is the, always the fulfillment. If you're ever doing Bible trivia and <laughs> the fulfillment of something, just go with Jesus, okay? He is the ultimate plan. He is God's plan. You understand that? Jesus Christ was not God's plan B. He was not even God, God's plan A. He is the plan. He is the plan. People ask you, why did evil come into the world? Why did sin come into the world? Why did, why did He allow Adam and Eve to sin and fall so that His Son could be glorified in the redemption of sinners? That's why Jesus Christ, God's plan is Jesus in verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Right? One of the most popular verses to preach at Christmas time. So the birth of a son. I mean, well, this is it, guys. This is. Remember Chuck was here with us a few weeks ago. I love that illustration he gave. The tip of the spear. This is the tip of that spear. Right? The gospel. The coming of a son. The proclamation of his son is the tip of the spear all for the praise of His glory, the salvation and sanctification of His people. You know what else this is? This is the main thing. This is the main thing coming into the world. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here we see it. We see Him. This is what we, this is what we celebrate. This is what we, we adore God. And this is, this is one of those verses that she gave birth. That Christ who was always God, right? Put on human flesh. He became man. We read about it earlier, Matthew 1.21. You will call His name Jesus. Why? For He will save His people from their sins. The main thing. The tip of the spear. Says the firstborn son. She gave birth to her firstborn son. I want to speak to that real quickly. You notice it doesn't say to her only son, but firstborn son. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that Jesus was her only son and that she remained a virgin. No, not at all. Matthew 1, verse 25, it says Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. 
That means virgin no more. And called his name Jesus. Matthew 13, verses 55 and 56. You can see some of his, or his, the names of his brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Verse 56, it says sisters, plural. So he had brothers and sisters. So that, that teaching is false. Mary did not remain a virgin. Um, he was also like any other baby wrapped in cloths, not royal robes, right? Very humble, very humble beginning in this world. Says he was going to be, she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. The word manger, guys, it just has the idea of a feeding trough. And it could be anywhere the animals were kept. There's really, there's really, it's not for sure where it was at, guys, but there's very good tradition in the second century by a very good source, Justin Martyr, who we'll talk about today in church history. And he says this, since Joseph had nowhere to lodge in that village, he lodged in a certain cave near the village. And while they were there, Mary brought forth the Messiah and laid him in a manger. Very likely that was probably what was going on. Because travelers, they would keep their animals in caves many, quite often. The inn, guys, don't think of it like a hotel. The inn, it's not like a Hotel 6 or, or obviously anything better than that, but it's a shelter or a lodging place. And it was probably full simply because of the census and all the travelers coming into the area. <clears throat> but when we look at this verse, guys, when we think about God's, God's providence and how He's orchestrated this, and this is the right, this is what the Bible's been pointing towards. That the one who would crush the serpent's head, the promised one, promised again and again and again in types and shadows. He has come. And so, we, we must remember who He is, guys. We must not be like those in the world who just read about little baby Jesus, right? And they, and they get a picture of little Jesus at, at Christmas time. And He's just a baby and that's all He is. And we just tap Him on the head. No, we need to remember who He is, guys. We need to remember that He is God's firstborn. Meaning the preeminent one. He is the preeminent one, meaning first in rank. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Always was. There was never a time when He was not. The eternal Son of God. The Creator. Jesus Christ is the Creator in John 1 and Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1. He is the One who spoke this universe into existence. He is the One who formed us in our mother's womb. That's who came and was born in this dark, damp, stinky cave. The King of Kings, right? All of the kings that have come down through the ages. He is the King of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is God the Son. Fully God. Truly God. And truly man. He is the eternal second person of the Trinity. The all-knowing. You realize Jesus Christ knows everything. As we discussed Wednesday night, He is the all-knowing God. He has full knowledge of every circumstance. Full knowledge of every person. He's not only the all-knowing, but He's the all-seeing. He sees everything. Nothing can escape His holy eyes to whom every person will give an account. Every person. The lost and the saved. Every person will give an account to this One. This all-powerful One, right? 
His omnipotence. He is all powerful. He's the one who He is the one who accomplishes this great and mighty salvation that we experience. But He is also the one whom the Father has declared to be the judge of all in John chapter 5. To all of those who mock Him, to all those who ignore Him, to all of those who instead of bowing the knee, they tip the hat. He didn't call us to tip the hat. He called us to bow the knee. He will be judge of all. So when we think about when we think about Christ being the eternal God and coming and being born in these conditions, what kind of welcome did he deserve when we think about this? The kind of welcome he deserved is for every person to instantly bow down and worship him. That's what he deserves. To have all creation from the most powerful creatures, those in the ocean, those on the land, down to the smallest creature under the microscope to sing His praise. That's what He deserves. Really, anything else is an insult. But how is He welcomed? That's what He deserved, but how was He welcomed, guys? He was welcomed into this world in a dark, stinky cave to a poor, young family in absolute obscurity. The King of Kings was born in obscurity No doubt much pain, much blood in that cave. Just Mary and Joseph with the animals in the dark. Loneliness and much rejection. That's how the King of Kings was welcomed into this world. It's really a picture of human depravity. God was unrecognized and unwelcomed when He came. Do you guys remember what John chapter 1, verse 11 says? He came to His own, meaning the nation of Israel. And those who were His own did not receive Him. By and large, the nation of Israel rejected Him. Had Him crucified. Missed it. Because they were looking right for one, like we talked about last week, who would, who would conquer the Romans. Not, who, not one who would conquer their sin. They missed Him. He was rejected throughout His entire ministry. Don't get discouraged, beloved, if your ministry is rejected by many. Is it biblical? Is it biblical? Is it rooted in truth? Is it rooted in love and compassion and for the glory of God? His family thought he was insane. Those in his hometown rejected him and tried to throw him off a cliff the first time he preached. The crowds would follow him for the goodies they could receive, for all of the miracles, right? For the food, for the fish, for the healings. but abandoned Him on account of the truth that He preached or the suffering that accompanied Him. This this was how He was welcomed into the world and it resulted finally in the religious leaders had finally had enough of Him to have Him crucified on a Roman cross. The eternal Son of God was rejected His whole life and His whole ministry by most and died the most humiliating Death than anybody had ever known. But little did they know, those leaders who had him put to death, little did they know that they, like the emperor, were fulfilling God's perfect plan. Turn to Acts 2, guys. We're going to close there in Acts 2.
God's plan has always been Christ. Acts 2, we're going to read verses 23 through 24 to start out with. So this is on the day of Pentecost. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit now, preaching to the Jewish leaders, much of the same people, guys, who had him crucified is in this crowd, or in this crowd. Acts 2, verses 23 to 24. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, here we see the plan, guys. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. We see Peter boldly preaching to the very ones, guys, who fulfilled God's plan. Who fulfilled God's plan to nail Him to a cross. Little did they know that that's what they were doing. But guys, I just want you to see that the world by and large in His generation rejected Him. And sadly in our days, it's the same case. What about you? When we think about God's plan, what is God's plan? God's plan is Jesus. That's what it always was. That's what we tell people. God's plan for the forgiveness of your sins is Jesus Christ. And so, have you ignored that plan? Or have you embraced that plan? It's really that simple. When we A message like this, we can know all of the facts. But have you embraced it by faith? Or have you ignored it? You could ignore it many ways. You could ignore it by anger. You could ignore it by mockery. You could ignore it just with pride and self-righteousness. I don't need that. But Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. Guys, there was no room for Him in, the, in His birth. With His nation. With His own family. His hometown, the crowds forsook Him and the religious leaders killed Him. But I want to close with a reminder for us all of His patience and His grace. If you'll go down in Acts 2, just go down to verses 37. 37 and 38. So you can read the rest of the chapter Again, Peter is proclaiming the gospel to the Jewish leaders, the one you crucified. Look at that, look at down in verse 37 and 38. At the conclusion of this message that he preached. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Do you understand what they're saying, guys? What shall we do? We nailed our Messiah to a cross. We killed Him. What shall we do? Can you imagine 
The Holy Spirit shedding light on what you had done. We put the Messiah to death. And you're thinking, I'm undone. There's no hope for me. But what does Peter say? Peter said to them, Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the grace that even to the very ones who shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! The Gospel could be the power of God and the salvation for them. What grace! This is why He came, guys. He didn't come just so we could celebrate Him every December 25th in our malls and our shopping places and see the little baby Jesus. No, He came to rescue us from our sins. He came to save the worst of sinners. Even those who nailed Him to a cross. No doubt we'll see some of those people in heaven. And what about you today, guys? And what about those you know? Whom are not in Christ. What's the message? Repent. Repent. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins because of the remission of sins. You know, I haven't asked this question. I, but, if, but if there's anybody here that maybe you... I think you've all been baptized. But if there's somebody, maybe you've trusted in Christ but you haven't been baptized. That's part of God's command. To testify to the world that I'm not my own. But I've died to myself. I've been raised to walk in newness of Christ. But there's grace, guys. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 For, the, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is, this is describing Him coming into the world. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich... Yet for your sake He became poor so that you through His poverty might become rich. The One who, the Creator of all, who owns it all, came and was born in the meekest of circumstances and suffered. The, the song that we sang about suffered the, the, the wrath of God. Isaiah 53. He became poor so that we could become rich. He took our sin upon Himself paid our penalty in full so that we could receive His righteousness. That's the Gospel. And that's the Gospel we must never cease to preach. And if you have not embraced that Gospel by grace through faith, repent today. Repent today and turn to, turn to Christ and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son. We thank You for sending Him. God, the, the One who created the world came and was literally rejected His whole life. Even His birth was a picture of humility. Lord, we just thank You so much for Him. He is the gift. He is Your plan. Lord, may Your people myself included, be faithful in proclaiming this very simple message to others. That they can repent, turn to Christ and live. Lord, may You use our church to fulfill Your great commission. That You would add to our church those who are being saved to see them baptized 
and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you in His name. Amen.